All right. Well, I am thrilled to be with you again this morning. And uh, today's sermon is going to be uh, very practical, uh, simple and practical. We've been talking a lot about disciple making and discipleship and evangelism. And so today I thought we would talk about very simply how to lead someone to Christ. This may be Practically speaking, one of the most important messages I ever preach. Because what more important thing could you do than to lead somebody to Jesus? So it's not, praise God, it's not rocket science. We just have to be faithful. But I'm excited to talk about it this morning. How to lead someone to Christ. Let me pray for us one more time. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, I, I want to give you praise for all the young people you brought this morning, and I pray that your spirit, God, would speak to them in a powerful way. And Lord Jesus, now as we continue to worship, God, I pray that you would minister to our hearts, that you would just kindle in us by your spirit, God, just a fresh passion and confidence in your power to save, because you are mighty to save. And Lord, not only that, but you use people like us to bring others to you. What a privilege that is. And I pray that today you would spur us on to love and good works, that you would strengthen us and use us um, and equip us for the work of the ministry to point others to the greatest thing that they could ever do, and that is come to have a relationship with you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm gonna, that's, that's gonna be a main, that's gonna be a major text I talk about. That won't be where we start, but that's what I, that's what I wanna, want to read as we open up this morning. Um, you know, I think too often we overcomplicate things and overthink things like leading someone to Christ rather than just simply obeying and trusting God. You know, the, the Peter, Peter in the boat has always stood out to me. Um, you know, Baptists especially are good at, at reason, reasoning and, and logicking. And, um, and, and, and Peter could have, could have given lots of reasons why he should not get out of the boat. He could have very easily reasoned his way into saying it's, it's, it would be foolish and unwise to get out of this boat. It's impractical. And he could have, he could have, he could have talked, he could have easily talked himself out of it, but of course if Peter would have done that, he would have never walked on water. You know, we can, we can reason a thousand ways of how we could never lead someone to Christ. I'm not smart enough. I don't know all the answers. I'm not a preacher. That's what preachers do. Uh, there's no way that they would listen to me. They're, they're really lost. Their heart is really hard. Um, you know, there's no way they'd listen to me. And we talk ourselves out of simple obedience to Jesus, not knowing that, you know, if we would have just stepped out on the water, Jesus would have made it hold us up. God can do whatever he wants. He, he rebuked a prophet through a donkey. He can use you to talk to your neighbors. He can. He can do it. You can lead someone to Christ because God lives in you. And I hope this sermon today helps us do it. And so we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, verses 1 through 11. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand 
in honor of the reading of God's word. This is one passage we're going to talk about this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1, says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. The word of God. You may be seated. So, we just got three steps to, to, um, three steps to, to leading someone to Christ. Number one, pray for them regularly. Pray for them regularly. Number two, share the gospel clearly. Share the gospel clearly. And number three, plead with them earnestly. Plead with them earnestly. First, we pray for them regularly. We pray for them regularly. Romans 10, chapter 1, I mean, Romans 10, verse 1 says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God, prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So this is a, this is the Apostle Paul praying for the Jews' salvation. So earlier I said that you can lead someone to Christ, and I need to go back and qualify that statement some. Strictly speaking, you can't lead someone to Christ. And you say, Pastor, are you insane? What is the sermon about? And I say, well, voice in my head, this is what it's about. You can't lead someone to Christ, but God can use you to lead someone to Christ. And that is huge. John 6, says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Which is why the first and most important part of leading someone to Christ is prayer. Because God can do what you can't do. At the end of the day, only God can draw people to himself. But the way we join God in what God is doing in the world is through prayer. Is crying out to God for him to sovereignly work in and through our prayers to draw people to himself. And that is mysterious. And Christians have, you know, wondered about that for a long time. If God is sovereign and does whatever he wants, then why do we need to pray? Uh, you know, does, if God can't change, does prayer change God's mind? I mean, how does prayer and God's sovereignty work? And the answer is, I, I don't really know, but it does. God hears, Bible's clear. God hears, God does what he wants. And at the same time, God hears and answers prayer. I think part of the explanation is to say, that if God wants something done, many times what he'll do is he'll put it on someone's heart to pray about it. Because God uses means to accomplish his ends, and one of his greatest means is his people. And so when God puts it in our heart to begin to pray for something, it's likely that God's about to do something. God works through our prayers. 
You say, Pastor, that makes my head hurt. And I just say, don't worry about it. Just pray. God can do what we can't do. He spoke to a prophet through a donkey. He can use you. You, but God has to do it, right? You can talk to someone till you're blue in the face. Nothing happens. Then years later, a stranger meets them on the street and shares Jesus with them and they get saved. Because it's God who says our role isn't to play God, but our role is to plead, is to plead with God who uses prayers to accomplish his ends. And so as we make an intentional effort to pray for them, I think there's a process. You know, prayer, God, God hears prayer, God answers prayer, not just that, but prayer changes us. When you, when you pray for somebody every day, that changes your heart towards them. It, it, it has to. There's no way it can't. When you pray for someone every day, you begin to think about that person more. You begin to care about that person more. When you pray for a lost person every day, it, it, that they begin to just be, hold a bigger place in your heart. And then, and so you become more intentional about developing your relationship with them. The more you pray for them, the more your God fills your heart with love for them. The more you, the more you want them to be saved, the more you pray for them to be saved. And then, they, and then you, and then, then your heart is stirred, and so you share with the, you share Christ with them, you plead with them to come to Christ, and then the next thing you know, God has saved them, and He did it through you and through your prayers, and God's just smiling because He used you to accomplish His good will. God saves, and so the first and most important thing we do when we're seeking to lead someone to Christ is we pray for them because God hears in prayer, and it's a privilege. To pray persistently to God. And Jesus talked about this in Luke 11, verse 5. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. A friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up, and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. What's the point of Jesus' parable? What's the point? If an unwilling, not super helpful friend will help you out if you aggravate him enough, Okay, that, that's, a, what's Jesus' point? His point is not that God's like that. His point is that if a super, if an unhelpful, unwilling friend will help you if you aggravate him enough, Jesus' point is, God, and God's not even like that. God loves to hear the prayers of his children. God loves to answer the prayers of his children. So if a, if an unwilling, not super helpful friend will help you if you aggravate him enough, how much more will God answer if you just keep knocking? And refuse to give up and pray consistently, persistently every day for somebody to be saved. I'll share with you this illustration, and I'm sure I've shared it before, but it's just so powerful. George Mueller is famous for running an orphanage in England strictly through prayer. He never solicited funds, ever. All he did was pray, and and they have you could read his biography of just like 
They had no food to feed the children one day and, uh, and no, and nothing to give them for breakfast. And, uh, the baker shows up and, 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 and they were like, well, what are we going to eat this morning? And George and all the kids were there and George just said, well, let's pray. And they say, Lord, just please provide us something to eat. And then at that moment, the uh, baker knocks on the door and said, the Lord told me, to feed you guys this morning. I've been up all night baking bread for you. And then, and then after the baker leaves, someone else knocks on the door and the guy running the milk cart said, my cart just broke down right in front of the orphanage and the milk's going to go bad. I'm just going to give you all the milk. That's what happened. That, that, those, those things happened to George Mueller. And this is what happened. This is what it says. In November of 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. 18 months, 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. We prayed for them every day for 18 months before the first one was saved. I thanked God and I prayed for the others. Five more years elapsed and the second was converted. I thank God for the second and prayed for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six more years passed before the third was converted. I thank God for the three and went on praying for the other two. The, these two remained unconverted. And then the, then uh, someone else comments. 36 years later, Mueller wrote that the other two sons of one of Mueller... 30, 36 years later, so this is... George still praying for 36 more years, okay? He noted that they were still unconverted, but he wrote this. He said, but I hope in God and I pray on and I look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray every day without interruption for these two men, they were converted after Mueller died. Mueller understood what Luke meant when he introduced the parable about prayer. And, and then Jesus told his disciples to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So the question is, so there's no question about whether God wants to act. The question is, are we going to participate? And are we going to be willing to love people enough to say to 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 bring them before the throne of grace every day, even if it takes years, even if it takes decades for God to act? The first step to leading someone to Christ is praying for them. Is praying for them. So number one, so how, so so practically, how do we do this? You have lost friends, family members, loved ones, maybe just somebody God lays on your heart. The simplest way to do this is to just make a list of people. And just pray about it and make a list of people to pray for we pray for lots of things but i think high on the list of things we pray for we need to be praying for lost people to be saved personally individually by name and then if you don't already set aside a time of prayer in your daily schedule the easiest way to do it i've found is to do it first thing in the morning that way nothing can come up to interrupt it okay Usually that to, usually that's the best way in my in my opinion. But anytime you can set aside, but then whatever time you set aside in your schedule for daily prayer, guard it fiercely, because Satan will do anything and everything to keep you from praying to God. 
So set aside a time on your schedule to pray. Guard it fiercely as if souls depended on it because in a sense they do. And begin praying every day for lost souls to be saved. And then watch what God does. So number one, we pray for them regularly. Number two, we share the gospel clearly. We share the gospel clearly. The the passage that I read, um, we won't read the whole thing all over again, but in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul reminds the 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 Corinthians about the gospel which he preached. Okay, so this is one of the clearest uh, descriptions of the gospel in the in the whole New Testament. Okay, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Then he appealed to Cephas and to the twelve. Okay, and then and then eventually uh, five hundred brothers at one time. Okay, so he's reminding them of the gospel. So when we say share the gospel clearly. We need to be very clear about what the gospel is. The word gospel means good news. That's what the word means. So it's news, right? It's not news is something you tell. News is not something you tell someone telling them something to do. News is something you, you say you're telling them something happened. This is what God did. This is what happened. This is what God did through Jesus Christ. It's, it's, the gospel means good news. So when we share the gospel, and, and, and specifically, when we share the gospel, we're not just sharing some unspecified truths about God or about Jesus. And I think that's important because, remember, the gospel is the good news about what God has done through Jesus Christ. Christ Live, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again, Christ is coming back for the forgiveness of our sins. This is the good news, okay? When we share the gospel, we're sharing more than just some unspecified truths, right? And, and I just think that's important. Saying that Jesus, telling someone Jesus loves them is great. We should do that. But just to be clear, that's not exactly the same thing as sharing the gospel, okay? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the good news of what God has done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, was buried, was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So the gospel is what? It's the proclamation of the truth that God himself has climactically intervened in time-space history in the person of Jesus Christ to save sinners from what they deserve by sending his son into the world, to live, to die, to rise again, and to ascend into heaven, and to pour out his spirit. That is what God has done through Jesus Christ. If you go read in the book of Acts, any, every time the gospel is clearly preached at the sermon in Pentecost, at Acts, at, at Paul preaching in Athens to the, to the pagan idolaters in Athens, it's not just them saying, hey, Jesus loves you. It's them saying, God raised Jesus from the dead. What are you going to do about it? You got to deal with, if a man, if somebody literally rises from the dead, you can't just ignore that fact. You got to deal with that fact. Who was he? What happened? Why did he came? Why did he come? What's the whole point? You can't ignore a man rising from the dead. The gospel is the good news of that God has sent his son to live, to die, to rise again. And we have to, we have to deal with that fact. If God has raised a man from the dead, we should listen to him. 
And this is what Paul says in Acts 17, right? It says, being, uh, being then God's offspring, verse 29, we ought not to think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, which is what the Greeks worship, right? An idol formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So that's what Paul told the, 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 the Greeks in Athens. A man, God has sent a man into the world to judge the world. He is forgiving sins if they will, if you will believe in him. But this man, he has proved and he has vindicated to be who he said he was by the resurrection from the dead. So that's what, that's the gospel. It's not, it's, it's not merely you need Jesus, which is true, but it's the historical fact of Jesus's life, death and resurrection. It's the news of what God has done for us that demands a response from us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot ignore a man who rose from the dead. So when we share the gospel, we need to be clear. We need to be clear about the gospel. We need to, we need to explain it. We need to explain. And nowadays, you can't, you can't assume too much anymore. There's a day when people had a basic biblical understanding. But let me tell you, folks, most of the people you meet on the street nowadays have never read the Bible. They might remember a few things, a few stories they heard in Sunday school. And that's it. So you got it. You, you can't just say, you need to repent and believe. They're like, what does that even mean? They don't know. Like you got to explain to them, hey, you were made by God. You, like me, we've all sinned against God, so we're accountable to him. But God sent his son into the world 2,000 years ago in history, in Israel. You could go there on a plane to save us from our sins. And he died for our sins and he rose from the dead and he's coming back one day and he's our only hope. But we got to believe in him or we can't be forgiven and we can't be saved. You got to make it clear. You got to make it clear. They need we can't water it down. They need to feel the demand that God is that the gospel makes on their life. And 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 the truth is, is we need to be humble and we need to be loving. But the truth is, is that some people are just going to be offended by it, right? Because if you're telling people they need to turn from their sins and believe in Jesus, you're, you're saying, hey, you got to acknowledge that you're a sinner. And lots of people don't want to do that, right? Lots of people don't want to do that. We don't like to acknowledge when we're wrong. But that's what it takes. And that's what the gospel demands of us. But the fact is, is that God has appointed a man to judge the world in righteousness, as Paul said. And this he has shown, this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You know, and so we need to be clear about the gospel. You know, we, we if people come to God, they can't see lots of people. They think, you know. The attitude that prevails today, well, you know, what's good for you is good for you, but that's not for me. That's what a lot of people say. But here's the thing. We don't get to dictate the terms of how we come to God. Right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God makes demands on our lives, and we can say, well, I'm not buying into that, and that's fine, but just know that we're all going to be held accountable. For the decisions we make with our lives. 
Christ has come so that we can be forgiven, even though we don't deserve it. He's come to live, to die, to rise, to rise from the dead. He will come again. We must rep- we must repent, believe, and be saved. We must share the gospel clearly. You know, and and we can't water it down. We must make sure people understand the demands. It's not just like believe, but you know, the 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 church rolls are full of people. I hate to say it, but where are they? Are they all going to heaven? I don't know. I really don't. Because believing in Jesus, you know, we, we sometimes think Jesus is just sitting there on his hands and knees begging people to come. And in a sense, he is. But don't forget, Jesus turned away a lot of people. Jesus said, you better count the cost before you follow me. Because who starts building a building without counting whether he has enough to finish it? Because you can get started, but if you don't finish, you don't make it. That's what it says. So we must repent. We must share the gospel clearly. Help people understand the decision and, and understand the gospel and the demands that it makes on their lives and they have to decide. So we pray for them earnestly. We share the gospel clearly. And then number three, we plead with them earnestly. We plead with them earnestly. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then earlier there in chapter 5, verse 11, Paul said, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So notice Paul's language there. We implore you, be reconciled to God. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So the gospel ministry is one of imploring and persuading. The power rests in the message, not in the messenger. But that doesn't mean that we are to act cool and indifferent as if human emotion doesn't matter. It does. We are spiritual, emotional, reasoning creatures. God works through our emotions, through our reason, to speak to our hearts and to our consciences. Because we know the the weight and the gravity of an eternal soul We would not be doing justice to the message as we talked about last time. We would not be doing justice to the message if we shared the gospel as if it didn't matter how people responded. Which is why Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's pleading. He's, he's, he's urging. He's exhorting. If you have to get on your knees and beg people to come to Jesus, then do it. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how we look. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter if they think you're one of these religious, religious kooks. I, good for you. I, I, more Christians need to be thought of as religious kooks. The problem, the problem, the world doesn't think more of us are religious kooks is because we're not living it out enough. If we really believe people are going to hell, we should be on our hands and our knees begging them to believe in Jesus. Compel people to come in, implore, urge. The, 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 Jesus tells a parable about compelling, not with violence, but with pleading and persuasion. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus told this parable. A man once gave a great, great banquet and invited many. And at the time uh, for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. 
The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go to see it. Please have me excused. And, the, and another said, I've bought uh, five yoke of oxen, a tractor, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Man blamed it on his wife. All right. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. God's house will be filled. It will be filled. But we are in as, in as is possible for us to do it, we're to compel people to come in, to do everything within our power, short of sin, to, to try to get people to believe in Jesus. Because it's the only hope. It's the only way. John Calvin said this. He said, this is a display of the astonishing goodness of God, who after freely inviting us and perceiving that we ourselves, that we give ourselves to sleep, Addresses our slothfulness, he addresses our slothfulness by earnest entreaties and not only arouses us by exhortations, but even compels us by threatenings to draw near to him. You see what Calvin is saying? He's saying, this is God's grace that when he invites us and we don't respond, God gets more urgent. And that's God's grace to us. It's God not relenting, but impressing upon us the seriousness of what is going to happen. God is not indifferent to whether or not we believe. His banquet hall will be filled. And he uses his servants to do it. He uses his servants to do it. And I want to be like this servant who can say, Lord, what you have commanded, it's been done. That his house may be filled. So how do we lead someone to Christ? Thank goodness it's not rocket science. Pray for them regularly. Share the gospel clearly. Plead with them earnestly. And as I close this morning, I don't know. Maybe there's someone in this room. Maybe there's someone watching online. And deep down in your heart, deep in your heart, you know that you haven't truly surrendered to Christ. Well, look. It's the most important decision you could ever make a billion years from now. It won't matter what your job was. It won't matter. It don't matter uh, how high of a rank you got or how much money you made or where you went to college or or um, whether your kid played professional ball or whatever it is. It won't matter. What will matter is did you know Jesus? There is so much room at Jesus' table. If you'll come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made a banquet hall, a table prepared for people who once rebelled against you. That's me. God, that's everyone in this room. And yet, Lord, you forgive and you grant us a place at your table when we trust in you. And so, Lord, I pray, God, I pray that just as your servants went and compelled people to come in, God, I pray 
that you would help us to go and compel people to come in. To share the gospel, to pray for them regularly, to share the gospel clearly, to plead with them earnestly. Lord, we know that not everyone will believe, but God, we know that some will. And you're going to use us to do it. And Lord, we want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And so God, lay these things on our heart. Burden us. Burden us for the lost people in our lives, God. Burden us to just begin pray for them regularly every day. And Lord, even if it takes 18 months, 5, 6, 52 years for them to come to faith, God, let us not give up. Let us not grow weary because you hear us. And we want to be a part of what you're doing in the the world. I pray that by your grace, King Jesus, we might be able to see some of that sweet fruit of your saving grace. That we might be able to taste soon and very soon, God, a new life being saved by your grace, changed into your image, and brought into the family of God. Use us. Lord, use us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.